You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. Hi, I'm Tim Robertson, the publisher of MyMac.com, and this is MyMac podcast number 234 of our weekly show. This week, we've got an interview with Paul Kent. He's a general manager of Macworld, and we're going to talk about the date changes, Macworld Expo, February 9th through the 13th. We're also going to be talking about Firewire 400 and USB. And finally, in the last segment, Guy, David, and myself are going to talk about the state of Mac gaming. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to my Mac podcast number 234. This is our 234 weekly podcast. That's a long time, David Cohen. Certainly is, and uh, enjoying every minute. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we also have Guy Searle with us. Hello, Guy. Hello, Tim. Hello, Dave. Hi there. Like you guys haven't been talking for the last hour, right? Yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> it's Dave and Tim. So, guys, there was a huge announcement this week that really affects uh, MyMac.com and what we do usually in January, and that is the Macworld Conference and Expo actually moved from January to February. And we have Paul Kent. He is the general manager for Macworld Conference and Expo. But before we get into that, Paul, it's not Macworld Conference and Expo anymore, is it? Yeah, we've kind of started moving the branding along to just Macworld. Macworld 2010 is the is the logo that you'll see. But it's really the show is going to evolve and be more than just conference and expo activities. So we thought taking it away from the logo was a good first start. I, I think that's the greatest idea. Um, everybody only called it Macworld anyways. I mean, I can't tell you how many podcasts that we do live from the show, and we never say Macworld Expo. We always said Macworld. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Macworld to the greater audience, to the to the world at large. And so uh, part of this whole process of reinventing the show is just kind of accepting that the world looks at a certain way and also driving it into new directions. But the logo is a good first visual start for it. So I'm looking at the, the uh, web page right now, and I like the pictures that you guys have up there. And, boy, I keep seeing you up there, too. <laughs> and and what's the banner behind you say? Uh, the start of a new uh, the new direction? I'm waiting for it to come start back. Start of a new era. There yeah, the go. start of a new era. So let, let's talk about that. You guys moved the show dates. What's up with that? So we started a process. Uh, at that, that picture uh, of me is actually from the town hall meeting we held at the show, uh, where it was the first time that we kind of publicly started talking to our audience about what our plans were. Uh, you know, we had this bit of news in late December where Apple announced that they weren't going to be participating in future Macworlds. Pretty titanic shift, but the thing is we've known exactly what our assets are moving forward. Macworld has been going on for 25 years. There have been great Macworlds for 25 years. When Apple was doing great, there have been good Macworlds. And even in the late 90s when, you know, Apple's future was in doubt, there were great Macworlds. We have an incredibly loyal, loyal audience who uses Macworld as a, a, a reason to get together, always looking for new products. It's an oasis. Point. It's an oasis. Yeah. You know, when I remember the bad old days, I mean, uh, My Mac Magazine started in 1995, and it doesn't get any worse than that. Well, maybe 98 was worse than, than well, well, at least no, Steve Jobs was kind of bad. 97 was probably at the lowest point. And yeah, it was getting together with the other Mac users, not necessarily to see Apple's booth, because let's be honest, it was Apple's booth. We already knew it was there. But it was all the other vendors that were there, and it was all the other Mac users, and it was an oasis. And that's really the thing, is we know what our role in the world is. And it's to bring the, here's a good example. The number one thing that attendees tell us in every survey we've done for the past 10 years, the number one reason that they come to Macworld is to discover new products for their Mac. They've already bought their Mac. They want to know what other cool things are out there. The number one reason is product discovery. And then if you couple that with the fact that 90% of the products at Macworld are not available in an Apple store, Macworld is a very interesting place for people to get together. You get to talk often to the developer who writes the programs himself. Uh, you get a demonstration from the people who know the products best, another activity that, that doesn't really happen out in a retail environment. And so you know, Macworld's place in the world is to bring people and cool products together. So we know that. So that whole thing, the start of a new era, um, you know, it's it's a new Macworld. Apple won't be with us next year. They've made a public announcement that they um, 
are de-emphasizing uh, conferences and trade shows. They've been doing this over the course of several years, uh, ceasing to participate in the Apple Expo in Europe and Mac Expo, NAB, NAM. Uh, they've said that their stores are the mechanism by which they want to talk to their customers. So that's the hand that we've been dealt. Macworld will move on. And like I said, we know that c- people come for a lot of reasons other than just to see Apple's booth or you know go to a Steve Jobs keynote. In fact, you know, only about 3% of Macworld attendees could get into a Steve Jobs keynote. So that wasn't really a draw for the overwhelming majority of people who come to the show. How much was the work involved on your end in IDG of making Apple happy year after year after year, as opposed to doing what you guys really thought was what you should be doing for everybody else, all the other vendors that are there? Well, let me let me answer the question this way. Uh, Apple... Uh, it, Apple was our biggest constituent, and the show revolved around Apple and Apple's participation for the last several years. Um, I'll say it this way. Apple understands the concept of leverage very well. <laughs> yeah, enough said on that. Yeah. I think we get really? the point. <laughs> I would say prima donna, but, you know. Um, the thing about being a Mac user is doesn't necessarily mean that you're an Apple fanboy. Uh, I've been accused of that. Oh, you, you just, you know, you love Apple so much. Well... Apple's just a company like all the other vendors that supply the stuff that I use on my Macintosh. Uh, They don't make the microphone that I'm talking into right now, but they do make the computer and they make the software that I happen to be recording in. I'm talking to you guys with uh, Skype, so that's not an Apple product. I could literally do this show on any PC I want, but I choose a Macintosh. As a member of the press, I also recognize that Apple is a company that they don't care about me. They don't care about IDG. They don't care about this podcast. They care about the bottom line, and that's the dollar. So that's not, you know, as a Mac user, as an Apple enthusiast, I like their products, but I don't always necessarily like the company. I don't always agree with everything that they do. And for me, and I think I could speak for Paul or for uh, Guy and David as well, when we go to Macworld, Apple's almost an afterthought for us. You know, I think yeah. that... Um Apple's, Apple is the common denominator that brings us all together. We're all Apple products users. But the point of Macworld is all the other stuff that goes on in this very uh, enriched, very dynamic ecosystem. The developers are very interesting people. You know, and a part of the legend of Macworld is always discovering that uh, three-person company that's come out with some amazingly cool software product. Uh, they're, they're programmers, not marketers, and they find their way to get to Macworld and you find them in the back left-hand corner, and they become one of the legends of Macworld because, you know, it's a place where customers can discover them. In a world where a lot of stuff still happens on the web, you can't underestimate the value of face-to-face. No, but by the same token, Macworld Expo is always covered extensively on the web because, let's be honest, more people are going to uh, view pictures of Macworld and videos and read articles online than are ever going to come to the show. So how is how are you going to incorporate the online coverage with the future Macworlds? Well, there's a couple things. You know, one of our uh, roles uh, in our accountabilities to our exhibiting customers is to give them as much access to the press as possible. So um, we have a lot more um, leeway to interact with the press, uh, embrace the blogging community, embrace the podcasting community, and make Macworld a place where the show is a lot more accessible uh, and and interesting for them. So we're, we're, we can create our own uh, approach to these now in a way that will work much better. Uh, so we want the press to come to Macworld moving forward. We're going to be opening up press registration much sooner this year than we have in years past. That would be great. Um, yeah, and we're going to do things like um, we'll have podcast studios where, uh, where podcasters can sign up for time and work uh, you know, kind of in a controlled environment where they can produce top-quality um, shows. Uh, we want our exhibitors to get that worldwide um, coverage. Uh, their message that happens at Macworld then gets carried out to a worldwide audience. That's a really important goal of the show. But remember, it starts with the fact that we're going to bring together all these exhibitors so all of our friends in the press have a compelling reason to come to San Francisco, spend their time doing interviews covering products. I mean, as long as the exhibitors continue to release interesting stuff, there's a reason for the press to come to San Francisco. And as long as the press is coming exhibitor is going to want to get in front of them. So it's a very healthy hand-to-mouth relationship. Well, I'm going to give you a, 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 an idea, uh, a suggestion, 
that I'm going to do it publicly, and we've talked on the phone privately before this, of course, but uh, one of the things that I thought of actually two years ago at the Macworld Expo was what happens on the Macworld Expo's webpage during the Expo. Not a lot. It's kind of static, and you know you don't really go there once the event starts because you go to, well, MyMac.com and LowEndMac and Macworld.com and just all these other Mac websites to, to read and write or to read and comment and, and do that sort of thing. But what do you do with the website? What if you guys set up a, a booth for Macworld itself with a live video stream during the showroom floor hours and just pumped it up to say you stream and you could embed that code, that video right on your home page. So it's literally live from the showroom floor. You can have rotating different press people on the microphone interviewing show attendees you can get people from different booths coming over to the, your booth to do interviews live on the air love it yeah, i mean it's just an idea of course uh, you're not going to generate money through people coming to your website to to you know that's not going to happen but for the vendor they're not only reaching someone right then on their showroom floor how many more hundreds or thousands or heaven forbid millions are watching live on your webpage at the same time. So it's not just who they're talking to right then. I totally agree. We need to do a better job of, of uh, building that bridge so the stuff that happens at the show can get out to the people who couldn't make it to the show. Exactly, because there's a lot of people, especially overseas. Now, I will say, though, that I interviewed quite a few people this year. I want to say last year because it just feels like last year to me. Um, (laughs) I interviewed a lot of people who were from Australia, for instance, that were at the Macworld Expo. That's a huge expense, but most of the people in Australia that are big Mac users are never going to come to San Francisco. It's just cost prohibitive for them. So if you gave them live, this is happening right now at the Macworld Expo, or at least you know uh, an archive of those videos that this happened earlier in the day. I think that would be pretty popular, at least with with the home viewer as well as the vendors that you can get on camera right then. Sounds like a great idea to me. Just a, just a suggestion. What were you going to say, guy? Uh, Patent Penny two thousand nine my back <laughs> Absolutely. If it, if it works, I'll expect a check in the mail there, Paul. <laughs> what are you looking forward to at this Macworld Expo the most? I know you're going to have a lot of announcements coming out over the next few months, uh, but what can you share with us right now? What's the big thing that you're looking forward to? Well, the show floor is going to be real interesting. Some of the announcements that are coming out about how we're shaping the show floor and the types of exhibitors that we're going to be doing special things for to bring them to the show. So i got to leave it at that for now. But uh, like I said, some announcements will be coming out. Hopefully you'll be nice enough to have me back on the show so I can kind of go to it. Well, MacWorld is very important to MyMac.com. For me personally, not just as you know the owner of MyMac.com, but it's, it's important to me because, uh, prime example, Guy Searle and I, traveled to Macworld this year together. He drove yeah. from Virginia to my home here in Michigan. And then we boarded a plane in Michigan to come out to San Francisco. <laughs> what a miserable flight. Oh, and the drive was horrible, a whole bunch of snow. <laughs> but it's a bonding experience. Yeah, Guy and I fun. won't have that experience um, outside of the Macworld Expo being the, the center of attention right then. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, the thing is, is that... Um I was saying before how we understand what we are and what we give to the world and what our role in the whole ecosystem is. Those depth of experiences, we hear stories like that all the time. I don't think many trade shows get that type of thing. I mean, one of it is we've been doing it for 25 years. The second thing is is just the type of uh, environment that's created at the show. It truly was stemmed from a community. I mean, it truly was stemmed from a bunch of people with a common denominator who then kind of self-organized based upon interests or common interests uh, and that type of thing is very different than your typical concept of a trade show. Now, our task moving forward, there's a whole group of people who don't know that that's what happens at Macworld, and it's very hard to describe. It sounds almost kind of sounds almost kind of hokey if you try to tell people, "Well, come and you'll make friends lifelong." You know, that, that's not really what we want to do. But what we want to do is modernize the um, experiences at the show, add a lot more non-trade show like things. So when people come to Macworld, everywhere they turn, it's going to be some state-of-the-art example of how Apple technology is being used, whether it's for uh, production and and performance of music, whether it's for um, uh, treating digital photography, digital photographs, whether it's for creating original works of art, uh, digital video projects, whatever types of things that you can do with a Mac. And remember, you you buy iLife, and 
or you get iLife with an iMac, and you've got some pretty amazing tools in your hand in order to create media. Macworld should be kind of this living laboratory where people come, share what they do, show off what they do. Uh, that's what I think the show is going to kind of evolve and be attractive to new audiences. And then once we get them in the door and they kind of see how accepting a, a, an environment and community it is, and then let all those other things kind of organically take place, that's where I see everything going. How much leeway does the parent company, IDG, give you as the general manager to to make these ultimate decisions to really shape the way the show is going to go? Are they giving you a lot of leeway to do that? Because, quite honestly, during this last Macworld Expo, I had a conversation with a lot of people who were really worried about the future of the Macworld Expo. And I didn't talk to one person who wanted it to end. They were saying, thank God this is going to be over and done with. Um, everybody wanted it to continue. Yeah, so here's the answer. IDG... You know, I, I was a conference chair for 10 years before I came on to be general manager. I've been producing conferences and trade shows in the Mac space for over 20 years. IDG has been is great. I mean, they want what's best for the community. They brought me here to, um, to kind of guide the show. And we've made a lot of strides forward over the last three years in terms of making the show even more um, uh, relative to the community. So it, it's not about me. I mean, it's really – I talk to – I have a great team. I talked to people like you. I mean, Tim, our conversation the other day, you told me everything you wanted to tell me about Macworld. I mean, I have those conversations all the time. My job is to kind of channel that stuff and make sure that the show that's built at the end of the day um, meets the needs of all the constituents, the attendees, the conference attendees, expo attendees, press, and exhibitors. I mean, it's our, the one thing about events, it's a pretty hand-to-mouth business. You can look at it and tell if it's a success. You can use a piece of software, and you might like it, but they may only sell 20 of it for whatever reason. You walk in the door at Macworld, and you can tell right away whether the event is a success. And it's all a function of how well we meet the needs of all those constituents. It's a very obvious type of thing. Well, I, so, could, uh, I could tell you uh, real quick, Paul, that the, the show that we did, the podcast that we did right after the Macworld Expo was over, we had Bob Levitas on the show, and we talked about the future of Macworld. And, of course, both uh, Paul – or I'm sorry, <laughs> I keep saying Paul uh, – both Bob and I were worried about the future. And if, one of the things that, that Bob said, and I, and I totally agree with him, he said, well, if anybody can make this survive, if anybody could do it, it will be Paul Kent. So that oh, was wow. a pretty big endorsement from, from Bob Levitas. I mean, he's got all the confidence in the world to, for, in you to get this thing going and, and making it something different and successful. And I have to say, on a, on a personal level, I, I totally agree with him, and I hope he's 100% right. I want to see this thing continue. Um, as a member of the press, of course, I have to take kind of a, well, you know, I'm going to report whatever happens. But, you know, from personally, i, I got to say I've got a lot of confidence in you, the staff that you've assembled, and I really hope you succeed. Well, Tim, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. We are dedicated to doing the right thing for the Mac market. And, you know, to kind of pull this all together, this first announcement of changing the dates – that was a direct response to feedback from our customers saying, please, for the love of peace, get it away from the holidays. You know, it, it's just such a hassle to try and get to San Francisco the first week of uh, January. If you're an exhibitor trying to prepare a product to get your code done the first through the end of December. So listening to customers and doing the best we can to implement the best feedback uh, and innovating, you know, our job is to lead as well. You know, we have to find some things that nobody thought of that uh, will make the show more interesting. So while I sincerely appreciate the kind words, um, kind of we're all in this together. So, you know, we'll build a great show. You and your team need to come out and cover it. Uh, exhibitors got to look forward to meeting customers. I could give you this data point. Um, we did the announcement on Monday. We had over 3,000 people register for the show in 24 hours. Wow, that's amazing. We were wow. so psyched about that. So all indications are there that that pendulum has swung. And, and let me just kind of say this, kind of close this all out. You guys were on this roller coaster with us. Apple made their announcement late December. Everybody's like, oh, bummer, gloom and doom. Then we got to the show, and everybody looks around and goes, I love Macworld. I really – we need this. This is important. And the pendulum swung all the way to the other way. Then we got to the end of the week, and we're like, all right, this was a great week. Who knows what the – future will bring and the pendulum kind of went back into the middle then we were silent for a while as we started to work on our plans and then we come out with this announcement this week and i think it's safe to say overwhelmingly the press pickup of our announcement this week 
was an endorsement. They said, yes, this makes sense. It's smart. This is a good first step to rebuilding the show. So as long as people got the message, we're listening, and we're going to come out with a bunch more announcements that kind of are proof of uh, prove our point that uh, we're going to build something really cool for everybody. We have over 13,000 people registered now, 3,000 people registered as, uh, as a result of the announcement this week. So everything's looking pretty darn good right now. Well, Paul, I want to invite you back on the show whenever you have another major announcement. Um, we, of course, will be promoting the Macworld, I want to say Expo, but <laughs> we want to continue to promote Macworld because it means a lot to us. Uh, quite honestly, it's our busiest time of the year, both as a staff and on the website. We get just a huge amount of traffic during the Macworld Expo week. And uh, good luck, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on, Tim. Anytime you want me, anytime we have something to say, I'd love to come back with you. His name is Paul Kent. He is the general manager for the Macworld. He'll be back on the show hopefully pretty soon with some more major announcements, and we will be right back. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be a liar if I was to say to you. And we're back, and I've got Guy Searle and David Cohen. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. So uh, we didn't do this in the first segment because we had the interview, but let me ask you guys, uh, starting with Guy, what's the application you've been using a lot lately, Guy? What's what's your – it's not a pick or anything. It's just the one that you've been playing with a lot. Uh, the one I've been playing with a lot has been uh, – I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit better with Final Cut Express, and it's it's been kind of a, a lesson in frustration. There's, I mean, there's so much – so many tools and so much power there that that it's it's easy to go wrong, and once it starts to go wrong, it kind of starts to cascade. Yeah, I know how that is all too well. <laughs> yeah, so but it's but, gonna. I, I think in the long term, though, it's probably going to be better to to learn it than not to have it. Oh, totally agree. Totally yep. agree. What about you, and David? Um, well, I've been setting up some new Macs this week, and uh, one of the things I want to do is get all my bookmarks synchronized between them and, and also do that without using mobile me because my, my subscription is going to expire soon I'm not going to renew it so I've been using something called Foxmarks which is uh, as its name implies is a uh, bookmark application for Firefox but they also have Safari support now so oh, I've really? been setting, yeah I've been setting that up on all my Macs and now that synchronizes all my bookmarks between them um, without having to use mobile me and that's very cool I definitely should check, take a look at that because that's something that I want to get back into now that I'm not using MobileMe as well. Is that a, yeah. is that a push service or do you have to like run an app to make it do it? It's a plugin. Yeah, it's a plugin for Safari, um, and it puts a little thing in the menu bar, and then every now and again it just synchronizes up to their server on the cloud. Oh, very um, nice. So don't bookmark your porn. Is, oh, yeah. is the lesson. Well, <laughs> yeah. if I actually like went to any of those kinds of sites, and we all know I don't. Uh, no. Let me talk about a little bit of the feedback we got, uh, especially this one from Jim. And uh, this is a, a one of the things that I've been using lately is uh, the Elgato Turbo H264. It's the little USB adapter that you plug into the back of your Mac um, or the front of your Mac if you have you know a front USB port. Um, and I, and I was actually using this to to rip and convert some of my movies, and I'm having some problems with it because using this device, it's Oh, I gotta say, it's it, it it will rip a movie file in a quarter of the time that it does without using it. I mean, it's extremely fast. But the problem is, on half of the stuff that I'm ripping, the audio and the video don't match up, and that's kind Ooh. of a problem. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but on that topic, uh, Jim sends us an email, and he says, uh, "I just want to ask about ripping DVDs for the Apple TV. I think I asked you about this before, but I just wanted to ask again." I have a huge library of children DVDs that I would love to have digitally and be able to have at the touch of a button on the Apple TV. I have handbrake and instant handbrake. It just takes forever to rip these DVDs. Is there a hardware solution or other software solution combination that would make this faster? I have both uh, my G5 and my MacBook to do these. Uh, what do you use for the situation? Um, Honestly, it's it's bad news all the way around, Jim. There's really no way to speed up ripping a DVD into onto your hard drive. It comes down to two things: uh, the speed of your processor, somewhat, but mostly the speed of how fast that DVD is spinning. You can't make it spin any faster. Well, yeah. 
No, I mean, the only thing you can do is you can image the DVDs to your hard drive. But that's going to take, that, that just and adds to the time. But, but, that, but that's going to add time. Right. Uh, I mean, the process is always going to be a bottleneck. Yep. Because obviously what you have to do is you have to decode the DVD. So that means pulling the data off the DVD and, and removing the encryption. And that's what and Handbrake then, does. That's what Handbrake does. And then you obviously need to re-encode that video into a format that your Mac or your Apple TV can play back. Yep. And that's what um, that's normally H.264, which is what your uh, your little H.264 dongle is doing. Yep. And before yeah, this, I've been using Visual Hub, which I actually go back to right. when the, when the um, Elgato... Turbo doesn't work correctly. That's right. Now I've I've been doing this recently. I've I've got a um, one of those uh, Turbo dot two six fours, which I use on a Mac Mini, which is a G four machine, and it's much much faster than the G four processor at doing. Oh that. yeah, that's got to be night and day. Yeah, but I find with the with a, a fast Core two Duo that and Visual Hub, that there's not much in it in terms of how how quickly it takes to encode an H.264 video. So um, you, Jim might want to try actually doing that on his MacBook um, using Visual Hub and ticking the H.264 option using the Apple TV preset and seeing how quickly it, it takes to encode those. Yep. But obviously that's a two-step process. You've got to rip the, rip the DVDs with Handbrake first and then feed them into Visual Hub to turn them into Apple TV files. There's, there's really no fast way of doing it, Jim, unfortunately. It, it's just yeah. one of these bottlenecks that... It just takes time to get these uh, ripped initially. Yeah. The nice thing is once you have them ripped, back them up to another hard drive so you have a copy. That way you never have to rip them again. <laughs> you yeah, you only right. have to do it once. So. And the, yeah, the advantage- also- sorry, sorry, Guy, you go ahead. I, I was just going to say, uh, also by the same guy that developed Visual Hub, there's iSquint. Yes. Which which takes a lot of the mystery out of it as well. But both it, of these it, products are no longer supported, remember, and right. you can't buy them anymore. Yeah. So, the, so, I mean, there's yeah, a, I, I didn't do any research and to find out what other software is out there that will convert video for you. This is just what I've been using forever. Uh, it still is, works. There is, yeah. The, there's uh, the a lot of stuff. Visual Hub, Visual Hub got open source, and I think it's called something like Tech Monkey or something like that nowadays. So you might want to take a look at that. Or otherwise, if you kind of look around the net, you can normally find a copy of Visual Hub floating around somewhere. Um, and the advantage of Visual Hub is that it has a batch system, so you can just drop a whole pile of files to it and leave it running overnight. You'll come yeah, down in the morning. You know, rip four or up. five DVDs over uh, the day, and then you have those ready to go. You just drop them into Visual Hub, start ripping them, and by the time you wake up in the morning, it's all set and done yeah. for you. Now, okay. iSquint, iSquint does the same thing as well. You can, you, can, you can put in two or three or four or however but many you But you don't have the control that you do with Visual Hub, and it doesn't also support as many different... Uh, export functions as Visual Hub. And also, very important if you're converting video, make sure you download MetaX, M-E-T-A-X. This will give you all your artwork, your, your I want to say album artwork, but I guess that works for movies too. Uh, titles gives you all that stuff. It searches Amazon and a couple other places. Um, it works really well, and it really makes it a lot better on your Apple TV once you got all that metadata in that file. Uh, otherwise, it's you know hit and miss on what the name of the file is and how it's going to sort it in the Apple TV. Use MetaX; it's a free program. And of course, we want to thank Lee Gibbons for uh, mentioning MetaX originally back on the show last year because after he told me about it, I downloaded it and I <laughs> I love MetaX; it works great. So let's uh, also we also want to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Otherworld Computing. You guys, remember, you guys remember um, it was about a month from now, a year ago, so about, what, 11 months ago, yeah. that yeah. Max Sales signed up for an entire year worth of advertising on both MyMac.com and the MyMac.com podcast. Um, that's pretty rare, guys, for any one company to make that long of a commitment to advertise on a podcast, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, Audible and people like that sometimes do these deals with Leo Laporte, but yeah, uh, but they don't go a year. They usually go three to six months at a time. Yeah, yeah, or they have a, they have a rolling deal. But you know, um, commitment for a year is it's a big commitment. Um, but it was, you know, it's something that, that I've enjoyed being able to do because they're a great company and they sell lots of really cool stuff, and well, we get to talk about it every week. Well, I'm glad that uh, that you feel that way, David, because we've got another year worth of talking about them. 
Oh, fantastic. wonderful. So uh, I definitely want to thank Otherworld Computing, MacSales.com. They will be sponsoring this podcast for another year. So you have 13 more months <laughs> to hear <laughs> MacSales.com on the podcast. Now, that's not to say that they'll be the only advertiser on the show. Uh, but they are our main sponsor, and we want to thank them very much for sponsoring the show. And what we're going to talk about next, guys, is FireWire 400 and USB on the Mac. Uh, it looks like Apple's kind of left FireWire 400 behind. But here's a problem. There's a huge collection of FireWire 400 peripherals that people are still using. So if they buy a new Mac and it doesn't have FireWire 400, what do they do? Well, I want to go back for one second to our sponsor, Otherworld Computing. They sell this thing called the Mini Stack. Have you guys seen that? It's a little external hard drive. Yeah, it's about yeah, the look- same size as a Mac Mini, isn't it? Yeah, it's about well, yeah, about this about the same size that, or an Airport Express. Yeah, it kind of looks a bit like an Apple TV because it's kind of half height, is it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. They sent me one of these. They sent me a one terabyte to take a look at, so I could talk about it on the show. What's really cool about this is. This will give you back your FireWire 400 port. Now, how does that work? With the mini stack, it gives you a FireWire 800 port. And as you guys know, you can go from FireWire 400 to 800 into your Mac. So this is a great solution. If you buy a newer Mac, this is a great solution to plug in your FireWire 400 peripheral. Say it's an external hard drive. Maybe it's your digital video camera, whatever. You go into the mini stack, and then for the mini stack, it goes into your Mac via FireWire 800. So it's a perfect solution. Yeah, and, sounds, sounds good. And, and I mean, one you can, terabyte. You can use a, yeah, that's that's a lot of space. Mm-hmm. I, I always, I've got a one terabyte drive. I always worry that there's so much data in such a tiny little little area of a disk that you know you you wonder whether that is that is more risky than having smaller drives but i, I don't know I've, I've never had one fail on me well th- that and because of the price now david honestly um i would get the mini stack and then i would just get uh, another usb 2.0 hard drive and that's the same size yeah. that does nothing but back up the mini stack use carbon copy cloner and it just simply backs it up once a day that way, if your mini stacks hard drive fails and you can replace it or upgrade it as time goes on, you still have all that stuff on your ex- your other external drive. Yeah, so. and, and the other nice thing about the mini stack is it, it's really well ventilated and it's got some some nice, very quiet fans inside. Yep. So you'll hardly even know it's there. Well, I'm using and, one. I've been using it for a couple of days. I actually took all my movies that were on these external FireWire hard drives that I've got sitting around, and I. I whittled them all down to none, and the, all of my data that was on those external FireWire hard drives, which honestly is just media, to be honest, that's all on my mini stack now. So it, it's a great solution, and uh, it's 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 a really nice unit. It's nice and quiet. Yeah, they've got one that goes as high as uh, one and a half terabytes. Huge, huge amount of of storage space. But more importantly to me, guys. It allows you to continue using your FireWire 400 stuff on your Macintosh. I mean, for instance, the new iMac does not have FireWire 400, does it? No, it just has no. FireWire 800. Right. And now, you FireWire 800 is good, but and you can get a cable to go from 400 to 800, but yeah. you're going to need storage space anyway, especially if you're not backing up your Mac via Time Machine. You can back up to the mini stack. Yep. Okay, guys, so let's talk about FireWire 400 and USB 2.0. What's going on? Why do you guys think Apple is abandoning FireWire 400? Let's start with you, David. I think they've taken the decision to move to FireWire 800 um, as a standard because it's, you know, it. FireWire, in, in my mind, FireWire has always been, um, I mean, uh, technically, it's a better solution than USB for moving files around. Um, and I think because for a long time, FireWire 400 was always much faster than you, certainly USB 1.1, and even USB 2 is slightly faster. I think Apple like to have a technology on their machines that is, you know, substantially better than USB, and so I think they've taken the decision to move to FireWire 800 and uh, and keep that as the as the fast uh, data standard on the Mac. Yeah. So. Um, and, and I, I think they've taken the decision that, that, you know, that because there are conversion cables available, there is some backward compatibility there, and so that's good enough. What do you think, Guy? Uh, yeah, I, I would kind of go along with that as well, except um, the only thing I might add is, ha- has have either one of you heard anything about FireWire 1600? Now, that was a, 
a standard that you know there was some some buzz about some time ago, but then it just seemed to kind of dry up. I think so, it dried up because the specs came out, at least the preliminary specs for USB 3.0, and that's going to be the next big thing. It won't be another. I think FireWire 800 is the end of FireWire. I think you're going to they're going to keep that around for oh probably another three or four years at least, but eventually it's going to be. Um, USB 3.0. USB will be the ubiquitous connection yep. for everything. And and let's let me ask you, David. Do you care if it's USB or FireWire? To be honest, as long as it's but they're both you know all things being equal, that um, they're both reliable, they're both fast. Do you really care? Well, I've got to, I've got to admit, I, obviously, I'm fairly recent to the Mac, only the last few years, and um, I've had a couple of problems with FireWire. Uh, you know, there's a couple of times when um, you know, connecting or disconnecting a FireWire device has actually burnt out a FireWire port for me. Um, and that's something that I've never had happen with USB. As I said, I'm well aware that FireWire is technically a superior technology to USB. But, uh, and certainly back in the day, you know, when you had slower processors in the Mac, um, FireWire, because it, it does a lot of the heavy lifting of the data transfer in the chipset rather than relying on the processor, um, it was substantially superior to USB. Nowadays, with uh, a dual-core processor in a Mac, um, there's really, you know, there's only a marginal speed difference between FireWire 400 and USB 2.0. Um, and, uh, you know, I've done some tests myself that's, that's actually verified that and showed that, you know, the speed difference is very, very small. So f- from my point of view, I think USB is obviously much more ubiquitous because, you know, most PCs have lots and lots of USB ports and very few of them have FireWire ports. So uh, I think, unfortunately, it's just a sign of the times that eventually it will fade away. What do you think, Guy? Yeah, Apple. You know, Apple with going to the Intel platform has has definitely become more aware of let's you know, for the lack of a better term, PC standards. And I think that uh, that's that's the direction that they're going. They're they're trying to make their hardware to be more like a PC, but still keep you know the Mac identity. And I don't think I don't think uh, FireWire for for as much as I love it, and I've used it for you know ten years. Um, I, I just don't think that's part of the equation anymore. I happen to agree with both of you guys. Um, and in some respects, I think it's kind of good that they're using the same peripherals as the PC makers because uh, for us long-time Mac users, we had stuff like ADB oh, and yeah. Apple monitors that you could yeah, plug DB into a 15. PC. Oh, God, it was just horrible. And with USB, and Apple really was the forerunner of putting USB in a computer as well as right. leaving out the floppy drive. Well, the original iMac. Yeah, it was the very first one. Um, and they left off the floppy drive. So Apple's known to abandon obsolete hardware. And so. Oh, and, and obsolete standards. Right. So they did hang on to SCSI for a long time. Well, what do you guys think? You, is it going to be something that you're going to uh, miss? Or is it. Eh, whatever comes next is fine with me. I think as long as the transition is fairly slow. Um, and and certainly, you know, this move from 400 to 800 implies that it is going to be fairly slow. Um, then then I'm fairly okay with that. What I don't want to do is suddenly find that I've got a whole pile of firewire peripherals and nothing to connect them to at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, the mini stack um, will take care of that for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, obviously that's that's a risk. And I know that some of the um, I know a couple of the guys in the staff who are real um, you know firewire supporters and and you know you often I often read in in Mac forums that sort of thing. Oh, USB, it's 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 completely useless. It's not fit for purpose, which just is is frankly untrue. Um, well, you I know, can tell they, you, I've they, got FireWire 400 and USB 2.0 hard drives. I can't tell you which is which copying to them um, on an average basis. I, I can't tell which is which, and I don't yeah, care yeah. as long as it, it's relatively fast, it's not a bottleneck, and it's just working. Exactly. Well, I, you can't, can't, you've got to forgive people if they've got a bit of religion. But, um, you know, I think, I think the, real wo- the real world is that actually, you know, USB is, is good enough in, you know, 80, 70, 80% of applications. And um, for, for, for the moment, for most of the Macs, except for the MacBook, the rest of the, uh, there's the, uh, the FireWire 800 port is still there if you need it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, what I'm going to miss is when FireWire goes away is uh, FireWire audio. But you know that, that's that's really the only part of it that that I have left that that I just can't you know replace with something else at this point. Yep, I hear you. 
So we're going to wrap up this segment, uh, and Guy and Dave are going to join me for uh, a discussion on the state of Mac gaming's coming right up. We'll be right back. MyMac.com. Welcome to America! Come, check out the MyMac Podcast with Tim Robinson with me. You will love it! <laughs> MyMac.com and we're back, and I don't know, guys. Uh, I I think that uh, that's kind of an open-ended discussion. Firewire 400 USB 2.0. I think that's something that we're going to have to revisit in the future. But for this segment, we're talking about Mac games, and we still have Guy, and we still have David with me. Hey, guys. Hey. So, are, are either one of you guys playing games lately on the Mac? I can tell you right off the bat that I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I've been playing some games, um, but they're you know they're they're mostly older, with with a few exceptions. Uh, Big Bang Board Games by Freeverse is is one that I really enjoy. Uh, one by an independent uh, developer, and I'm going to have to look him up to see what it is called. Chopper. Huh. R- really, really old. Um, I think it originally came out for the Apple II, and I'm not seeing... Oh, uh, Magic, so- Magic Jungle Software. Hmm. Interesting. Fun, fun what about little, you, David? A little 2D, 2D scroller. I, I I play a couple of the Freeverse games quite a lot. Um, you know, I really enjoy those. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm really... I've, I've actually started... A, you know, you, Guy, you mentioned you were running old games. I've loaded up um, both StarCraft and Diablo 2 onto <laughs> you know, my Mac. I, I almost bought the StarCraft... Because I've got StarCraft, but I can't find my codes anymore. Yeah, I know. And so I, I can't I, load up uh, Brood Wars. So I almost right. bought it the other day at Target for 20 bucks. Yeah, I was that I've, close. I've, I, I've been tidying up, you know, tidying up things around the house, getting ready for the for the baby, and you know, I was cleaning out the room that's going to be the nursery, and I found literally four copies of Diablo Two, where I, you know, because <laughs> the thing is, you know, you can you can buy it on, uh, you can buy it cheap because it's on, uh, you know, it, it was released into the like, you know, the cheaper classics tier, you know, years ago. So yeah. anytime you want a you copy, can you know, buy you that like online say, now too. Yeah, exactly. So, so I literally found like four different copies of Diablo Two. Where because if I'm away and I want to play it and I haven't got it with me, I'll go out and just go out and buy a cheap copy and uh, and load it up again. But I've loaded both of those up because obviously the uh, the the new sequels are due for the Mac this year, uh, and uh, you know I really want to kind of get get my get my head around those two particular games again so that uh, I can look forward to the new games coming along. But there's also some pretty big name games coming out. Or have come out recently for the Mac. Uh, for instance, in the Lego series, uh, Indiana Jones came out at the end of last year. In fact, I have Lego Indiana Jones for the Mac, and I also have it for the PS3. Well, I was already playing it on the PS3 when the Mac version landed in my lap, and uh, I think from Feral Interactive, and I ended up giving that copy to Guy Searle. <laughs> that I still haven't installed yet. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those games that I, I, I enjoy it, although I think it is probably the weakest of all the Lego games. But I just saw an announcement last week that Lego Batman is coming to the the Mac, and that is a fantastic game. It's much better it's than a Lego. Great game. It, it's a yeah, great I, game. I watched you guys play that on off of your uh, what PS PS3, I think, or was it Xbox? PS3. Okay. And it, it's a fantastic game. I really enjoy it. My wife enjoys it. The kids enjoy it. And I think if you're a Mac user and you don't have a console at home, pick up Batman Lego for the Macintosh because it's a fun, fun game. But we also have coming up. Uh, I think this has already been released too. Call of Duty Four. Oh, I've got that. Yeah. So it's been released. Uh, yeah. How does it run on your Mac? Is it nice? Uh, on a Core Two Duo Mac, it runs really, really well. Uh, I, if I had any complaint about it, is that it's too short. Uh, it's it's pretty well, it's really easy. a multiplayer game, guy. I mean, Call of Duty Four. They give you the the single player stuff, but it's really built around online play, going against your buddies or yeah. random strangers, and and taking headshots and laughing at them. <laughs> well, in my case, it'd be more along the lines of yes, taking headshots. I would get slaughtered. Taking, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, uh, and it, because that's what that game is on the on the consoles as well. It's an online game. That's really where you play it. But what's the state of the Mac games, guys? Let's start with you, David. What do you think? Is there a future in gaming on the Macintosh, or do you think that the consoles have caught up and surpassed what you're going to be playing on the computer? 
Well, uh, the, the, I mean, we're, we're increasingly seeing, you know, games coming out for the consoles that only come out on the consoles. Or if it comes um, out on the know, Mac, it comes out, you know, six months to a year after it's been released on the console. Well, you kind of have you kind of have this this sequence, don't you? Where they come out on the on the consoles, and then the PC version might come out a bit after that. Um, and only once it's been released on the PC does anyone think about maybe porting it to the Mac. Very few developers are doing direct development, um, you know, for for in the big name releases for the Mac games uh, and, and, and looking to do a simultaneous release on consoles, PC and Mac at the same time. Well, I can't the ask Guy this, but don't you think, though, David, if you've got some free time, aren't you more apt to pick up your iPhone and play a game on that than you are on the Mac? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously that's a lot more convenient, but there are, you know, there are some games that I like to play that just, you know, still don't play well on the iPhone. I love first-person shooters, and really, you know, I want that rich graphical experience and a, and a good sound field, and uh, you know, those those controls that I'm very, very familiar with. I mean, I can uh, I can't play three uh, first-person shooters on a on a console. I just can't get on with two two analog sticks i need to have a mouse in one hand and four buttons in the other i would, have said, the, you know, I would have said the same thing about an rts game that you can't play something like starcraft or warcraft on an iphone although i think diablo no. would be really good on the iphone but that being yeah, said yeah. though warfare incorporated is on the iphone and it's an rts and it actually works really really well it works it's great yeah, the, the the thing with the thing I find with RTSs on on the iPhone as opposed to the Mac is that those the, certainly the best ones that I've ever played are the ones where you know to do a, a particular level or a particular battle you you know you might put two hours into that and I can't I couldn't sit for two hours and play yeah. an RTS on the iPhone. No, but you know, the I'm, thing is about the iPhone is though when you quit the application you hit the home button. Uh, at least any good game will actually save your progress right then because that's what Warfare Incorporated does. It saves yeah. it right. I, I launch it and boom, I'm right where I left off. That's right. But I like to sit and play for two hours if I'm playing an RTS. I like to build a, a you know, a really sort of. Uh, I, I probably overcomplicate the games. I let's put it in skirmish mode and you know build a really complicated defense and then start trying to sound out where the enemy is and picking away at his defenses and you know that that takes. It's, it's a real time investment, and if I'm going to do that, I want to do that on a on a machine with a big screen and and uh, you know decent controls, not not staring at a small screen for two hours because that that's just just too much hard work. So if you're going to play a game, guy, where's it going to be? Is it going to be on uh, your Wii, or <laughs> or is it going to be on your Mac, or are you increasingly looking at the offerings on the iPhone, iPod Touch, and thinking, hmm, I might want to go that route. Uh, when when they finally and you know and I know it's coming probably this summer the 32 gig, uh, 32 gig in storage iPhone I will buy an iPhone and then I will find out what all this goodness is that I've been hearing about and seeing all this time and and have not yet been able to experience for myself. Um, but typically, if I'm going to game, uh, I'm gaming either on my laptop or my iMac. I, I you know that those are really the the only two places I have where I, I can kind of shut out the rest of the world and and just concentrate on the game. And, you know, of course, you've got kids. I've got kids. Uh, David has kids. It, 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 it all really comes down to how much time do you have that you can commit to playing games. I could tell you that, you know, as you guys well know, I'm a, I'm a video game player myself. Um, I don't want to say a serious one, but serious enough. Uh, and I play most of my games on the consoles. I've been playing increasingly more games on my iPhone, but I actually went and bought a DS game this week, which for me is super rare. I can't tell you the last time I bought a game for the Nintendo DS. What was it? Uh, Grand Theft Auto, Chinatown Wars. And oh, okay. I've, I've played about 10 minutes of it, and it's pretty cool, but uh, the screen just isn't that good. Compared to the iPhone, it's actually pretty crappy. And I'm, I, I kind of regret purchasing it now because I just I don't see myself lugging out the the DS to play this one game all that often when I have my iPhone with better graphics, better sound, and a better selection of games at my fingertips. I could buy or even download for free some of them um, from the device itself. I don't have to go to Target or Walmart or Amazon or wherever to purchase a game like I do have to for the DS. It's right there on the device. I click, it installs, a minute later I'm playing that game. 
Well, do you think there's going to be more big-time developers moving to the iPhone? Yes. I think that you're going to see a decrease in Mac games and an increase in iPhone games. What do you think, David? Yeah. I, I think I think probably you'll find that the um, because because the Mac is Intel now it's it's it has become much easier for the developers to support games to the Mac from the PC. I just don't um, think that Mac so, users care about games all that much. Well, I, I think you know there's a lot. Remember the you know the growth in Mac sales is obviously driven by a lot of people moving from the Windows platform, and there's quite a lot of Windows people who'd like to play games. So I think there's a market there, and I think the the PC and Mac game markets are probably now fairly closely tied together yeah. um, so you know the, the fortunes of the PC market I mean a lot of people say that PC gaming is really in decline it is um, and, I, and I think the uh, you know the Mac the Mac um, you know the Mac computer gaming market is probably tied very much to the fortunes of the PC I think you will see um, you know more people moving to iPhone purely because you know there's so many units uh, and they can push that game those games out relatively quickly with much smaller development teams the, I mean, people 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 forget how much it costs to develop these games nowadays you're talking oh, yeah. literally movie style budgets of, of many millions of dollars uh, and um, and there's, you know, not it, as, there's not as much uh, leeway either if they have a game that's not a hit no it exactly. can take the whole company down yep and, so, I, and I'll also so, say that as someone who goes to the video game websites out there and, and gets the latest and greatest news, I, I never see any Mac game coverage on those sites ever, but I am increasingly seeing iPhone game coverage. So I think that's a, a big indicator yeah. of games on the iPhone platform, which is why I hope that eventually Apple listens to my suggestion and gives us the ability to play iPhone games on my TV. Whereas the it's the same game, oh, it's just bigger yeah, on my TV, like the Apple TV or something. Yeah, yeah, it just streams it, and I can see it on my big screen, and I can still use the iPhone as a controller, but it's on my big screen. I don't have to be hunched over looking at the iPhone. Uh, interesting topic. I think that we're going to have to revisit it maybe a year from now after the next Mac World Expo, and we'll see where Mac gaming is at that time. We'd love World to hear of goo. World of Goo. I've heard that good things. Yeah, it's a it's yes. fun. It's yeah, a great game, it, yeah. And I think that's going to be something you're going to see on the iPhone, to be honest. It mean, would, that would be a good iPhone game. Yep. We do want to hear what you guys think out there in listener land. Send us any feedback on what you guys think of Mac gaming or USB 2.0 and the Firewire. Or, even more importantly, what do you guys think about the Macworld Expo? We had that interview at the beginning of the show with Paul Kent. What do you guys think the future of the Macworld Expo? Is it bright? Is it dim? Is it something you're going to go to? Uh, are you excited about the Macworld Expo again? Do you think they, they can do enough to, to resurrect this show? Well, I don't want to say resurrect because that implies that it's dead, yeah. and I don't think it is. But is your interest in the Macworld Expo still there? Are you going to go? Uh, send any feedback to feedback at mymac.com, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. So we're going to wrap up show number 234. We'll be back next week. We're going to have an interview with uh, Dom from Dollar App, and, of course, he is also the guy who helped develop Big Words. <laughs> if you don't have Big Words yet, go buy it. Uh, it was my idea. You can find a link right there on MyMac's webpage. Um, we're going to also yeah, talking about Airport Express and menuing on macOS, and that's all next week. So, Guy, David, thanks for being on the show this week. Uh, once again, it's been a pleasure. Bye, everyone. Thanks for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast. 